You're listening to audio from Embassy Church. We exist to advance the message and ministry of Jesus in the city of Bloomington, on the campus of IU, and to the ends of the earth. Thank you, Maria. How are we doing, Embassy? Good morning, good morning. Um, I, like Maria said, uh, got to be in the great state of Iowa for this weekend. Flew back late last night to be with y'all because I'd rather be with y'all than with them. Uh, true story. Uh, love you guys. I'm actually wearing swag. I, I feel young because I'm wearing a black hoodie, you know. So all these these 18 and 19 year olds were buying swag, and I got one. And I'm like, man, I'm gonna wear mine Sunday just to just to feel young, to feel cool. I'm 34. I'm not cool. Um, but I, I feel cool right now. So um, it was an awesome, awesome weekend. Uh, we brought about 50 IU students, which is amazing uh, for the first year of uh, a conference and that experience. And I was telling some people earlier, um, it, it's kind of like, maybe I'll use two different analogies here. Like I, I grew up in a small church and was a believer in high school and trying to walk with Jesus. But like the church was tiny and the youth group was even smaller. And, and so, like, we actually literally met in a double-wide trailer, like, behind the church as a youth group. And so when I went to college at LSU and I met other Christians, I was like, what? Like, other Christians, like, really exist? And then, like, I met, like, hot girls that were Christians, and I was like, what? Like, there's hot girls that are Christians? Like, this is crazy. Like, it was just, it blew my mind to see, like, a bigger tribe. And that's kind of the experience our, our, our Salt Company students are getting. Um, they're, they're, they're 50 strong um, bigger than that, but, but 50 of them uh, got to go and see 4,000 other students or 3,500 other students from 20 other universities, and it's an empowering experience. So like Maria said, um, thank you for sponsoring a child, if you did. You know, I wasn't here that Sunday when Derek pitched that. I didn't know if you had weird background music, and he's like, sponsor a child. Um, but, but thank you for being generous if you were, if you were and, and getting students there because that experience um, for most of those students in the Life Assault Company will be one that they remember uh, for a long time to come, okay? Uh, and, and so definitely, definitely a thank you from, from me to you. Um, one of the other cool things that got to happen uh, this weekend, I got a phone call from a buddy of mine back in Iowa uh, about maybe about four weeks ago now. Uh, and he said, hey, bro, I want to give you some money. And I was like, I love these phone calls. Um, and I get these phone calls uh, more, more often than I expect, but, but uh, I, I get them actually a lot. And he said, hey, bro, I want to give you some money. You got any needs? I was like, dude, we're a church plant. We're like needy little teenagers. Of course we got needs. He's like, what do you need? I was like, well, honestly, um, we got about five dudes that have trucks in the life of embassy, and they hate that they have trucks in the life of embassy because we make them drive the trailer, you know? It's like when you get a truck, you're like, yes, and then everyone fi figures out you have a truck, and you're like, no, you know, I have a truck, and everyone asks me to do everything. So, hey, I don't know you, but can you help me move? Um, and so I said, dude, I I'd love to buy a truck just for the strike team. And he said, dude, sounds good. I'm sending a check your way. Sends me a check for $20,000. I said, I love you, dude, and you are the man. I get a call about five days ago, maybe six days ago now, and he's like, dude, I just called to check on the truck. How's it going? And I'm like, dude, I'm a schlep. I, I, haven't, I haven't bought a truck. Honestly, like, stuff's been busy. I'm going to get on it. He goes, no, 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 that's not why I'm calling. Uh, he goes, I have a truck for you. I'm like, what do you mean you got a truck for me? He's like, I got a truck, but there's a problem. And I was like, okay, like, what's the problem? He's like, it's, it's nice. I was like, how nice are we talking? And he's like, well, it's a company truck. Um, it's too nice for me to give to to my workers, and so I just want to give it to Embassy. You think you'd want it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, 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 I'll take it. <coughs> and so what, I, what will be driven back by Derek today um, is a 
a nice Denali, right? And so um, we got a truck for strike team. So if you're on a strike team, you're welcome. Um, the Lord is blessed kindly. Um, and uh, it is Indiana what, cream, crimson, M- Indiana crimson, you know? And so it just fits perfectly, right? And so and he said, keep the money. So uh, one generous dude in Iowa that um, just wanted to bless us gave us, gave us about $50,000 this last week. So praise the Lord, huh? Yeah, we can say amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I mean, golly, the, the weekend was just just stuff like that, right, where you just kind of open your hands and you just say thank you, and you can't say anything else. Just the grace of God uh, on us, on this church plant, on embassy. Um, being in Iowa and seeing the faces I got to see was like a reminder of how far we've come, okay, uh, because we didn't have the Salt Company Conference last year. Uh, there's a thing called a pandemic. Uh, which we're still in. It's a, it's a blizzard, not a long winter. And the last time I saw a lot of those faces, we went into lockdown. And so it was this weird kind of like, wow, I haven't seen you since like pre-pandemic and the world changed, you know? And we kind of like went into lockdown and like floated off into Indiana and planted this church without any goodbyes, you know? Um, and, and I just got to really reflect on the goodness of God and the grace of God and just how generous he's been to us um, and kind of 40 launch team people limped in from Louisiana and Iowa here. And, and now Lord's added to our number. And, and people experience the grace of God and, and salvation. And, and God's transforming hearts and lives and marriages and relationships. And so uh, just a lot to be thankful for. Um, and if, if you're seeing this for maybe the first time or the first couple of Sundays and you're a guest, I want you to see what you're stepping into and what you're a part of. It's just God's goodness in this place. And what our hope is is that this is just the start of something, that God willing, embassy grows, and we are a kingdom outpost in this college town, and then God uses us to plant other kingdom outposts in other college towns, right, because the next generation uh, and those college towns need it. So anyway, um, it's a powerful, powerful experience. I really wish I could actually bring y'all all, all, and maybe we'll do that. We'll just rent some charter buses one one year and just like cancel embassy and take everybody there. That'd be legit. So uh, if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Galatians. Uh, chapter 3, we're going to pick up um, in our sermon series called The Gospel Period. This is where we've been going uh, through the book of Galatians this entire spring. Uh, and we're looking at um, just this, this idea of what the gospel is. Okay, we, we're, we're comparing it to a gym that we hold up to a light. And, and as we turn it, we just see the different facets of it. Right? The gospel is at the core of Christianity because the gospel is about the person of Christ. Okay? Uh, and so Christianity uh, has a lot of strappings to it. But if you get all the strappings and miss the gospel, you don't have Christianity. You've missed Christianity, okay? Uh, and there's nothing more pertinent for a young church plant than to really grab a hold of what this core message is and, and not let go of it, okay? And so the book of Galatians is actually written by the Apostle Paul to the first churches he ever planted, these young church plants. Um, and it's actually a big rebuke because they've gotten away from the gospel, Right? They've gotten away from the truth of the core of the message of God's grace, okay? And they've added to it by performing and putting confidence in their works. And so there's a lot of legalism there. They're, they're moving towards the, the law, and these false teachers have come in and said, oh, man, you started with grace, but you got to kind of finish by works. And so Paul's trying to parse out these things. And what we've had to go through in the middle of Galatians is really kind of painstaking nuance. And so if you've been here the last couple of weeks, like, We've gotten pretty deep, haven't we? Like, we, we're, we're teasing out some things, okay? And so this is going to be another one of those sermons where I'm not just going to give you um, kind of surface-level stories and, like, 
man, rah, rah, you can do it, and God loves you and all that kind of stuff. I actually have to dig in a little bit, but I want you to just stick with me um, because there's some really good stuff here. Uh, and it's going to answer the big question that hopefully, if you're tracking with the Gospel Period Sermon Series, you're already asking. Okay, which is, okay, I'm a Christian critter. I understand I'm saved by grace through faith that I, I did nothing, that it wasn't my performance that brings about God's pleasure, but it was Christ's performance on my behalf. But, but where do works come in? Okay, where does the law come in? What's, what's the Christian's relationship to the law if it's really just all about grace? Okay, because you can mishear it as just easy believism. Like, is it, is it really that simple that Christ did it all, that it was finished on the cross 2,000 years ago? How do the promises of God and the law of God actually relate? Okay, so what's the relationship? How do they connect? Okay, um, and so again, last week, um, Paul, uh, in writing Galatians, drew our attention to the beginning of the faith, capital F. All right, so I want you to look back. In Galatians chapter 3, and I want you to see uh, how he starts the chapter, okay? Um, and what we did is we traced on down and look at that paragraph in 10 all the way through 14, okay? And I'm just going to read it for us again because Paul is going to follow on in his line of logic, and he's making an argument here, and we got to track with it. So, again, don't look up here. It's not going to be on the screens. If you don't have a Bible, grab a, a, a phone, download a Bible app. Uh, but, but trace along with me uh, because this is really, really good stuff, all right? So I'm going to read 10 all the way through 14. This is what we covered last week, but it's important for us to, to get, okay? Paul says this. He says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, all right? Because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed, i.e., it doesn't matter if you think your good works outweigh your bad works. If you have any bad works, you're under a curse, if you have broken the law at one point, you have broken the law, period. All right? And so the, the law says you are under a curse. And this is what Paul's pointing out, okay? So he says, it's clear then that no one's justified before God because also the law says that the righteous will not live by works. They will live by faith. All right? So, but the law is not based on faith, verse 12. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. And then he says this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, curse is everyone who is hung on a tree. So the one non-lawbreaker, the one righteous one who ever lived, was actually cursed by God. And so what Paul is tying that to is going, if he was cursed and he's the one righteous one, those who ought to be cursed can in turn get his righteousness. And on that cross, there's that substitutionary, and here's a big theological word, atonement of what Christ has done for the Christian, okay? So now he goes into verse 14. The purpose was this, that the blessing of Abraham, drawing us all the way back to Genesis 12, 15, and 18, the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith, okay? So this is what we're about to get. Now you're tracking? Paul is going to continue in this line of reasoning, and we should be asking the question, all right, if we're saved by grace through faith, these, these solas of the Reformation, right, grace alone, faith alone, through Christ alone, then what's the relationship to the law? Where do rules fit in? If I'm a Christian and, and, I, and I'm, I believe in the gospel and I'm experiencing this transformation of the spirit of my life, like, what's my relationship to, to what I should do about it, right, in response to it? So Paul's going to give us an illustration and he's going to give us two questions, 
Okay, so the, here's the flow of my sermon, right? Uh, here's the flow of the text. The first paragraph is an illustration, and then he's going he's gonna to rhetorically ask two questions. And it's probably the questions you're asking yourself. So Paul's a smart guy, and he's going to answer probably what you're already thinking. And if not, you should be thinking, okay? So here's the illustration. Illustration number one. You ready? Brothers and sisters, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside or makes addition to a validated human will. All right? So here's the illustration number one. A will. A covenant. Okay? Look at 16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds, as though referring to many, but referring to one and to your seed, who is Christ. And then he's going to give his point. Okay? So he's drawing the Galatians' attention all the way back to the promises of God to Abraham in Genesis 12, okay? So stick a finger in Galatians 3 and flip all the way back to Genesis 12 and look at verse 3, all right? And I want you to see the promises of God in the beginning because in the beginning, God promises Abraham that through his seed will come one who will be a blessing to all peoples and all nations. And Christ is going, that seed is Christ, right? And that's why the whole Old Testament actually... It tracks a family lineage all the way to the person of Christ. That's why when the Gospels open up in the Gospel of Matthew, it starts with the genealogy. Have you noticed that? Chapter 1, the part you usually skip over where you're like, oh gosh, begat, 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 right? What's the New Testament author? What's Matthew trying to do? He's trying to tether the whole lineage from Abraham's promises that he received from God, or God's promises that he gave to Abraham, all the way to the fulfillment of those promises in the person of Christ, Okay? And so what's Paul's point? Look at verse 7. My point is this. The law, which came 430 years later, okay, and he's talking about Moses and the Ten Commandments, Mount Sinai, all right? The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously established by God and thus cancel the promise. So what's he saying? Galatians, you started with grace. You started with the promises of God. You believe the gospel. You receive the spirit. Man, you're, you're experiencing transformation in your life. Things are changing. Your life's changing. Your marriages are changing. Your community's changing. God's just doing incredible things. And then you're, you're now getting away from the gospel of grace, and you're moving to the law. You're moving towards circumcision and, and keeping these dates and, and these celebrations and, and doing this and not doing that. And you're trying to be perfected by your performance. That doesn't make any sense. God's promises are all the way back to Abraham in Genesis. And you're acting as if God's law supersedes them. But they don't. And he uses the illustration of a will. Okay? So this is how a will works. Right? Um, and I was, man, I was thinking about this in my preparation, and it got me emotional. Uh, me and my wife uh, put together a will years ago. We actually, I gotta go look at it. But we did it years ago. I haven't looked at it. Uh, I can promise you that there are only... There are certain names on that will, and there are certain names that aren't when it comes to signature. My wife's signature is on that will, and my signature is on that will. You know whose signatures are not on that will? Abigail Ann Cook, Caroline Marie Cook, and Emma Grace Cook. What's my point? My point is what that will is, it is a ratified statement that says, all that I have goes to them. And it's my promise to them. And there are absolutely no strings attached. Right? My signature is on that page, not theirs. 
if you track back in Genesis, I put you in Genesis 12. If you go to Genesis 15, and we looked at this last week, God makes a promise with Abraham. God writes a will to Abraham, and it's weird. It's Old Testament weird. So if you read this chapter, um, it probably didn't make any sense to you, right? But, but, but God comes to Abraham, and essentially this, and I'm going to give you the felt board story. He goes, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, Abraham. Look up. Look up. It's nighttime. Just stare at it. I don't know if you've ever just seen the sky that's just like, you can almost see the, the folds of the Milky Way, right? I, I've been to Hawaii, and, and you're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and you look up, and you're like, there's that many stars, you know? And he's going, Abraham, look up. And you can just imagine the scene. And, and there's a problem there because Abraham doesn't have an heir. He's 75 years old. He doesn't have a child. But God goes, I promise. And then something really weird happens in the chapter, right? The, he tells Abraham to get like a lamb and a pigeon and these animals and like to cut them in half. And the whole idea was like, okay, well, like, you know, now we're going to walk through them. And this is covenant making in ancient days. But what happens usually is both parties would walk through the animals, as if to say, if I don't fulfill my covenant, may my life be like theirs. Right? I mean, that's pretty intense, right? You're, you're cutting an animal in half, and you're walking through, and it's like, dude, if I don't keep my word to you, bro blood brother, like, may I be cut in half. That's what's going on. If you read the passage and you understand what happens, what happens to Abram? He falls asleep. And you see this pot, right? And again, it's a weird picture moving through the animals. But Abraham doesn't. And what Paul's drawing the Galatians' attention to and what should draw our attention to is there's actually only one person that makes that covenant. Only God walks through the animals and says, if I don't fulfill my promise, may my life be like theirs, not Abraham. It's a one-way promise. It is a will written and signed only by God. That you understand the ramifications for that if you're a Christian. That God makes a one-way promise to the Christian and says, I will do this. You are a sinner and I will provide a savior. And so for the Christian to live as if they have to perform to get God's pleasure is to make it a two-way promise. It's to make it as if you sign the bottom of that covenant and your signature isn't anywhere on that. That's not the gospel, that's religion. Do you see the difference? Are you tracking with that? So, so Paul draws the Galatian attention all the way back to this illustration of will and covenant in Genesis 15 and going long ago before the law ever showed up, 430 years before, we've been a country how long, 240 years, right, America? 430 years before, God made a promise. The law does not invalidate that promise. That promise still stands, okay? So you should be asking a question, then what, what is the purpose of the law? John Stott writes it this way, and I want to tease this out because, man, this was what was recovered in, in the, the movement that was the Reformation. It's just this, this, this loss of the purity of the gospel. And so John Stott writes it this way, and, and Martin Luther writes a lot on this, um, the great reformer um, from Germany. But he, 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 Martin Luther goes, man, if you don't grasp the delineation between promise and law, you'll undoubtedly lose its purity, right? You'll undoubtedly move towards rules and legalism and performance and miss the freedom that comes with the grace of the gospel. So John Stott, an uh, uh, English pastor, writes it this way, and I want to tease out the difference. Promise and law. In the promise to Abraham, God said, I will, I will, I will. In the law to Moses, God said, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt. Do you hear the difference? Okay? 
The promise sets forth the religion of God, God's plan, God's grace, God's initiative. The law sets forth the religion of man, man's duty, man's works, man's responsibility. Do you hear the difference? The promise has to only be believed. The law has to be obeyed. These things are radically different from one another. They're not one and the same. And lastly, God's dealings with Abraham were in the category of promise, grace, and faith. But God's dealings with Moses were in the category of law, commandments, and works. Okay? So there's a huge delineation between the promises of God and the law of God. Okay? They're not one and the same. And then now, um, Paul's going to answer two questions. Okay? So track on down and look at verse 19. Question number one. The question we should be asking if we're tracking with Paul's argument. What is the reason for the law? Verse 19, why then was the law given? Right, are we asking this question? We should be. It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator, that mediator being Moses. Now a mediator is not just one person alone, but God is one. All right, but I want to focus on that first part. Why was the law given? And the answer is, it was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. Man, you can almost, like, hear the accusations of the Jews against Paul. Okay, because if, if you track with the book of Acts and where we were last semester, Paul goes to Jerusalem, right? And, and he's arrested because, I mean, the Romans are actually saving his life. He was being stoned and kicked and beaten. And, and the, the accusation levied against him is, here's this man who throughout the whole Gentile world is speaking against this place and these people and this law. And so if you don't read it carefully, you think, man, Paul's knocking the law. Paul's not a good Jew. Okay, and I actually, I, I studied Hebrew at LSU, and, and my, my professor was a rabbi, and, and he would make that same statement. He'd be like, Paul is the worst Jew that ever lived. Because the way it's being read at its face is, the law doesn't matter. That's not what Paul's telling these Galatian Christians. That's not what the scriptures speak to us today. The law does matter. We just need to understand the delineation between the law and the promise, and then what's the relation between the law and the promise, okay? And this is what Paul is trying to say. The law actually illuminates the promise, all right? The law actually illuminates the promise. It doesn't eliminate it. It illuminates it, okay? And I know I have a southern accent, so I'm trying to very clearly articulate the two, you know, because my words can drop off. It's like, did he just say the same thing? It doesn't eliminate. It doesn't get rid of it. It illuminates it. What do I mean? Uh, Stott says it this way. The function of the law was not just or was not to bestow salvation, however, but is to convince men of their need of it. Okay? The purpose of the law isn't to bestow salvation. It's to convince men of their need of it. Right? So the way this plays out in the Christian life is with when you and I, we go to performance to try and earn God's pleasure, we're looking at the law as if it's a means of salvation. That's not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is to let you know that you are a sinner. And if that doesn't sound harsh, you're not hearing me right. Right? Um, golly, this is why uh, when, you see, when you see, and maybe this is your experience, when you see somebody become a Christian for the first time, usually what you see is they hear the gospel, right? They hear that God loves you because he is loving, not because you're lovable. That, that when you're just thick in your sin and your shame, that Christ died for you. That he saw you clearly who, for who you were and who you weren't, but he loves you all the same. And that by sheer faith, 
you can cling to him. Okay, when you hear that and it's beautiful and it's sweet to you, it's like, man, I, I confess Christ, I believe. And you start to grow as a young Christian, right? You're this new creation and, and you're a son or daughter adopting the family of God and you're just growing like a weed. And, and you're reading the scriptures and, and man, like some of these bad habits and all these things that, that you weren't convicted of before, you're convicted of now and you repent of them and, and you, 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 you separate from sin and you can see it for what it is. But then like you see a lot of young Christians move to a lot of legalism. Okay, and a lot of performance, and, and just the do's and the don'ts, right? And and wear this, and don't wear that, and say this, and don't say that, and hang out with those people, because you're 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 wanting, you know, the the right thing, but you just don't know how to get it, right? And you're not doing gospel work; you're doing religious work. You're not working down deep into the recesses of your heart and going, what's going on in here, and how do I believe the gospel each and every day so that I can I can love God with a pure heart? You're going, man, I, I need to perform. And so the Christian from the jump and continually needs to see the law in its proper place as calling for a need for a Savior, okay? It needs to, in a sense, and this sounds harsh, but it needs to beat us down. It needs to exacerbate us. It needs to wear us out. Now, it doesn't need to stay there, right, because that's terrible, right? But, like, The law, if you read it, man, if you just look at the Ten Commandments, and this is why, golly, if you just read this book, it it should level you. It should absolutely level you. If you read the Sermon on the Mount and you're not just like, oh, oh my gosh, like how do I think I could be good enough to stand before a holy God? That's how you know you're reading it rightly, okay? The law lays out God's expectations and shows us we fall far short of them, and it has a purpose, okay? Check this. Andrew Jukes uh, says it this way. Um, check this. Who says that? You know, I'm going to hear about that later from my wife. <laughs> check this. Bomb.com. All right. Andrew Jukes says it this way. Satan would have us prove ourselves holy by the law, but God gave us the law to prove us sinners. You see the difference? The law should be a mirror for you to see yourself as you actually are. As a sinner. But it shouldn't leave you there, okay? Um, I'm going to read a couple quotes uh, this week because I didn't prepare for my sermon. No, kidding. Because um, they're really good, and, then t- uh, and I want you to hear it, uh, how some of these really smart men say it. Keller says it this way, The law has the power to show us that we are not righteous, but it cannot give us the power to be righteous. And the irony... The irony of what we're talking about here is if you look to the law to make you righteous, you're actually not reading the law as it's written, as it's intended. All right, so the purpose of the law is to show us that we fall far short of it. All right, so next question. Are you tracking with Paul? Okay. So first one is what's the reason for the law? It's to show us that our sins are actually transgressions of the holy God. And then the next question is what's then the relationship between the promise and the law? Look at verse 21. Is the law, therefore, contrary to God's promises, right? This is a natural, rational kind of like line of thought. And Paul's teasing this out for these Gentile Christians, okay? Listen to what he says, and I'm going to bring the tone. Absolutely not. I think he maybe had a deeper voice than that. Absolutely not, all right? For if the law had been granted the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. Right, this is where the law falls short, okay? But Scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. 
Look at verse 23. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until, until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. But since the fa that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. All right? So this is what's going on. Paul responds to this rhetorical question, his accusations from these false teachers. Okay? Right? And then he asks the second question, but he actually flips it. Because he goes, now that I've proven to you that the promise actually came first, that the law doesn't annul the promise, okay, but the promise stands, let me answer how the law that isn't primary fits with the promise that is primary, okay? The law and the promise actually don't contradict one another. They complement one another, right? Think about how exhausting it is, and maybe that's, that's your experience with Christianity. You're in this just like hamster wheel of religion, and all you know is law. All you know is the standard that you fall far short of. And you feel the shame from it. But you've never heard the gospel of grace. You've never really understood the promises of God that you can't do anything to earn God's favor. So he did everything to give it to you in Christ. Right? And, and the complement of those two, right? Um, Scott writes it this way. That when you think about the, the stars of the sky, they're always there. Okay? He uses this illustration. The stars are there. They're not any less there than they were last night. But what lets you and I see it? It's the darkness, right? The stars shine the brightest in the darkest of the night. The stars are there right now, okay? And so if you refuse to let the law do its work in your life, to look at it like a mirror, you're never going to see the gospel for how sweet it is and how beautiful it is. You'll never just hold to the promises of God for how great they are because you're too afraid to let the law do its work. And so we need to hold these in complement, the law and the promises, okay, and not run past the law. This is my problem with Christians that, that only read the law. In God's redemptive history, you've got to go through the law to get to the promises. Well, depends on how that works, right? But you've you got to read the Old Testament first before you get the new. The new is the answer to the old. You've got to see just the weight of the law and let it, you've got to feel it. Before the gospels and the promises of God are, are, are sweet and good. You gotta, in a sense, meet Moses before you meet Jesus. Um, the, the, the imagery that Paul uses here, I just wanna, I want, I want us to catch this real quick. He, he calls the law a guardian, okay? And he actually kind of gives two pictures of what that looks like. One is almost a, a, a guard in a prison cell, okay? That, that's what the law is in a sense. It's kind of like, it's, it's kind of keeping us constrained, Okay, um, and the other is, is almost, um, it, the, the word guardian here is, is not that great. It's like a, a disciplinarian, okay, in, in ancient days. Uh, maybe the best example, and I don't know if this will land with you. I was a public school kid. For some reason, the vice principal was always the person you never wanted to see, right? Like, they were the ones that just, like, at least in my day, they spanked kids. You know, I don't know if that's legal anymore, but, like, yeah, we, it's like, hey, you want to get suspended, you want to get spanked. I was like, spanked, please. <laughs> like, mama's going to kill me if she makes me stay home with her for a week. Um, that, was the, that was the assistant principal. In a way, that's what, that's what Paul's comparing the law to. He's like, the law is an assistant principal, and it is disciplining you. Now, it has a purpose, but, like, nobody is meant to stay under that discipline. You're supposed to mature. You're supposed to grow up. Same thing with my kids. Like, I, I discipline my kids and try and help them be good. I try and instill values, and I know it works when they grow up and, and they personalize and hold the values that I've been trying to instill in them for years. 
Okay, and then hopefully they do the right things because they delight to please their father, not because there's some kind of fear, right, uh, uh, of not doing it right. And so in a way, Paul's going, the law is our tutor. The law is our disciplinarian. The law should guide you and keep you from doing things you shouldn't be doing or, or, or push you to do things you should do. But if you're serving God out of a motivation to please him, you're not understanding the promises. And when you start to understand that, the law starts to change for you if you're a Christian. And you actually start to delight to do the law because you know it pleases your heavenly father. Not because you think you can earn it or do anything for him, but, but because you know it puts a smile on his face, right? So the Christian isn't one that completely catapults the law. The Christian is one that starts to follow the law because they know they already have deep security in God's grace. And that's a radical transformation, okay? Um, I want to I give this illustration, and I, I wonder if this will land. If it doesn't, just forget about it. Um, I want you to think about the preposition of under the law versus in Christ, okay? Golly, you are cute. Um, I'm pointing at the, the kid. Um, she's skipping down the aisle. Um, I want you to think about under the law, and I want you to think about in Christ, okay? When we're under the law, what the passage we just read says that we're cursed, Okay, I want you to think about a semi-truck. Now, check this. Uh, uh, an empty semi-truck trailer, you know how much it weighs? 10,000 pounds. Empty. So semi-truck trailer, 10,000 pounds. Loaded, you can put another 30,000 pounds on it. In a way, when we try and perform for God and we put ourselves under the law, it's like we're, we're trying to pull a semi-truck trailer, and it, it crushes us. Right? And again, I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of legalistic hamster wheel of performance. I have. Okay? But it, 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 it weighs on you. It is exhausting. It's a yoke we can't bear. Okay? When we are under the law, the gospel comes in and puts the Christian in Christ. And so salvation by grace through faith says you are saved. You are rescued. It pulls us out from under the burden of that weight and puts us in the cab with Christ, right? Christ is driving it. It's going. I mean, that thing's got more than a hemi. I don't even know what that is. Like Peter built, it's just rolling, okay? And you're just sitting there, and you're not doing anything. Nothing of you pulled yourself out from under the weight of that semi-truck trailer that is the law, laden down and heavy, and nothing of you put you in that beautiful Christmas tree air freshener smelling cab but you, in Christ, partnered with the person, the, the, the person of Christ, are performing perfectly, right? Because it's not your performance, it's his, and he's pulling that weight. There's a huge difference in operating as if you're sitting in the cab because you're in Christ, because you're a, you're a fellow son of God, versus you're, you're living under the law. And if you stay under that trailer, it'll crush you. I'll give another illustration. Um, I'm going a little bit over time, but um, hey, that's just kind of been my MO lately. Um, Charles Spurgeon gives this illustration, and, and it's, it's apt. Um, and I'm picking this up from last week. So I'm going to give a reverse illustration of the Titanic, okay? Um, North Atlantic, freezing cold, okay? And I don't know if, you, you, of course, you saw the movie. If you didn't, you know, uh, you were born under a rock, but the movie Titanic, and, and you had these, like, just buff, strong, strapped dudes at the bottom of the ship just grabbing coal and throwing it into the boiler, right? But then you also have little kids, 
okay? And I think a lot of times in the Christian life, we think about our faith as being the most important thing. And if we're a Christian, we go, man, is my faith strong enough, okay? I kind of don't feel like the buff strap dude, like throwing coal into the boiler. I feel like the little kid, you know? My faith is weak. It's not strong. And the Titanic didn't do this, right? It it sailed across the, the treacherous waters of the North Atlantic, and it didn't make it. But in a way... Like, it's, it's a vehicle, okay, a ship like that going across the North Atlantic. Like, it doesn't matter how strong that guy is. He can't swim across the North Atlantic any different than that young kid. They've got to get into a ship a- and go, okay? And this is why the Titanic analogy breaks down because the Titanic hit an iceberg. But in, the way, in a way, Christ is, is that vehicle for the Christian or that ship, that vessel, okay? When a Christian in faith is in Christ, it doesn't matter if you're strong or weak, it's his competency that gets you across the North Atlantic. And it's not cold, frigid waters, it's, it's just the fiery wrath of God's holy justice, okay? So regardless if you're wake, I mean, you're wake, your, your faith is weak or your faith is strong, you, you're not getting there. The question is, who are you in? Who are you hiding yourself in? Like, are, have you bought a ticket into Christ? And again, bought the wrong analogy there. Have you just received a ticket? Have you stepped on board? And if you have, the Christian has every confidence that God's going to provide, okay? Uh, Let me close with this. I want us to think about the gospel this way. Um, I want us to think about the gospel as, as something that leads us to all, not ought. That's why I was trying to tease out the difference between law and promise. If you hear the gospel and your response isn't awe, but it's ought, you're probably not hearing the gospel. Okay? If you hear the gospel and your response is all not ought, you're probably not hearing the gospel. The gospel should put you and I in wonder mode, not work mode. The gospel should put you and I in wonder mode for what God has done for us, not work mode for what you have to do for God. If you're moving towards work mode, it's probably not because you heard the, the promises. It's because you heard the law. So I need you to, yes, hear the law, but hear the promises. God loves you because he is loving, not because you're lovable. And while you are still a sinner, Christ died for you. And only by faith in him can you stand right before God. You'll never be good enough, so he became good enough on your behalf. And all that is, or all we can do in response to that, is say thank you. Okay? So that's what I want to leave us with. I want to pray for us as we close out. And, man, I've had a handful of conversations with a good handful of y'all the last probably three or four weeks. Uh, And a lot of these conversations are the same. It's conversations with you guys coming up. And, and not all of them, but there's a lot of similar ones where it's like, man, I've never heard this before. <laughs> and I want to remind you of my story. I grew up in the church, and I grew up wearing the label of Christian. But there was a moment when I heard the gospel for the first time. And I believed it. Okay? And so, if you're a Christian in here, and maybe you, you sincerely are, And you just need the gospel to be spoken over you, and you need to continue on by grace. Like, keep going, right? Keep going. There's a category of person here that I think 
thinks they're a Christian, but they've never heard or believed in grace. And it's just been religious performance. There ought to be a moment where you surrender your effort to try and earn God's favor, and you just say thank you. If you've never had that moment, and this is my Baptist coming out in me, okay? If you've never had that moment, you should, right? You, you think about how spiritually significant that is, the shift of reliance on yourself to reliance on God's provision for you. I'm not trying to make it a work or something like that, but I don't want you to continue and carry on of like, man, I, I'm a Christian because I grew up in a Christian home or I grew up in a Christian culture or I'm a moral person. A Christian is someone who is in Christ and who has decidedly said, I hear that gospel, I hear that promise, and I believe it with all my heart. And when that happens, things begin to change because the Spirit of God comes in the Christian and helps them look more like Christ. And little by little, you start to transform. And it's a beautiful thing. And it's a freeing thing. It's not exhausting. It's reviving. That's what God wants for us. That's what God wants for you. So uh, I want to pray specifically for that person in here. And then we can close out and sing praises to the God that deserves it. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. I thank you for, I uh, just thank you for Paul. I thank you for, man, his, his unagreeableness. Um, that he would just stand in the face of false teaching and really tease out the truths of the gospel. That he would point out the promises that you have given us through Abraham, the fulfillment of those promises in Christ, and that we can grab a hold of them this day. I thank you for the law. I thank you for the fact that it shows us that we are sinners in need of a Savior, that we can't be good enough. And I pray that we would stare at it rightly that we'd see our sin for what it is, but we wouldn't stay there. That we'd see our Savior, the one that you provided for us because we couldn't do it ourselves. I pray for the person in here that, yeah, maybe for the first time, they're hearing the gospel. They're hearing that, that they can't be good enough. They can't clean themselves up, fix themselves up, stand themselves up. And I pray that you, only in how you can, by the power of your spirit, that you pull them out from under the law and put them in the cab of Christ. That have all the security and all the confidence that comes with being united in him, in his performance, and his righteousness. So thank you for the cross. Thank you for what you did 2,000 years ago. Thank you that as Christians, our judgment is in the past, and we can have confidence for the future. And I pray that that truth would transform our present. We love you. We praise you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about us or to get connected, please visit embassybtown.org.